1: Welcome everybody to this Royal Automobile Club talk show. Now, this is a special talk show for two reasons. We have a, a fantastic guest today. Hans Stuck. thank you very much for, for coming. Thank and talking you. Hello everybody. Uh, the second reason is that it's London Motor Week this week. Um, it's the end of October. London Motor Week involves a number of events at the Royal Automobile Club and the London to Brighton Run. And one of the events at the Royal Automobile Club was a uh, dinner last night in, in your honor. How was the dinner last night? uh
2: just one word it was f- fabulous thank you it was an honor for me to be there with all these r- really very nice and, and uh, interesting guests and uh beside that dinner was uh, my homemade style it was austrian wiener schnitzel and Kaiserschmann. compliment to the kitchen they done they performed very well you know and uh the talk section was great so all together was a really a very very nice evening good
1: stuff well today you we'd like to talk to you about a career that spanned a racing career that spanned 43 years um, and the career spanned sports cars uh, le mans racing touring cars formula one formula two in arguably the most exciting era in in history the 60s 70s and 80s so um but i'd like to go back to when you were nine years old i think and, uh, and i'm sure you told this story last night at the dinner but i'd love to know your feelings as a nine-year-old boy about to drive to drive your very first laps of the Nürburgring please please tell me about this experience <laughs> uh, yes i mean thinking it back now
2: being nine years tr- and uh, driving at the f- world's most famous racetrack is now even more important than it was in these days for me, you know. It was in the little BMW 700, my, my dad's uh, company car. And um, I knew how to drive a car because he taught me on the premises when I was six or seven. And he was an instructor at these uh, legendary uh, Nürburgring driving schools at the section around the carousel. He let me drive the car there back and forth. And he said, okay, I'm a little boy. Now we do a lap together. I sit on the passenger seat. I got two cushions under my under my butt, you know. And we drove round. <laughs> Daddy gave advice, and after lap five, he said, "No, you go on your own." I, I guess he said, "You drive on your own," you know. But can you imagine being nine years old, driving on the Nürburgring, on the world's most demanding <laughs> racetrack in the BMW <laughs> 700? And it went fine, no question, nothing, you know. Yeah. And this, obviously, when when this virus was then set yeah. and stayed up to today, that's important. I have to, I have to ask,
0: <laughs> if it was your father's company car, did your father's company know? I would say no, definitely <laughs> not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> not, but I mean,
2: they knew, then they got to know pretty soon afterwards, you know, but at this day, definitely not. <laughs>
1: That's an interesting word you used there, the, a virus. And that's the virus for, was it for, for, for speed or for, for driving? Or was that? It was, it
2: was a, a fuel virus. Everything yeah. where you put fuel in, it's, it's still nowadays, you know. At home, I live in a skiing area in Kitzbühel. I have a snowmobile, 140 horsepower. I have a quad bike, you know. And if I do lots of sport, but I need sport with, with sound, with engines, you know. This is important yeah. for me.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so it was only ten or so years later that you made your race debut. Um, But am I right in saying that you couldn't actually get a racing license in Germany until you had your road driving license? And you had to be eighteen. And you had to be eighteen. Okay, so you passed your driving test. You raced at the Nurburgring, and then one year later, as a nineteen-year-old, you won. You won the twenty four hours of, of the Nürburgring. Tell tell me about that race in particular and, and, and your feelings as as you were driving twenty four hours.
2: Yes. Let's let's go back to the to the first race to the start. Yes. You know, it was one of these driving schools. Another instructor was uh, legendary Hans Peter Köpchen, a BMW tuner, and he approached my dad and said, Hans, you know, I watch your, your son driving here. I want him to race on the coming weekend. Yes. Would you agree? And then there was a very difficult decision for my dad before everything was fun and, and just enjoying. But then he knew when he gives me permission to do this race, this would be a start of a big thing. Because he yes. you know, he had in his, in his long career many uh, heavy accidents, he had ups and downs, what is normal. And he knew if I say yes now, is it good or not? Yeah. But there was no chance he had to say yes, you know, definitely. <laughs> I put so much <laughs> pressure on him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I did this this first race, which is okay, and then I came the first uh, 24 hours at Nürburgring, yeah. which was really cool. And uh, in the BMW 2002 TI with my yes. partner, Klemmer Schickendanz. And it awa- I mean, those were the days we had no physios, we had no no motorhomes, we had no no drinks and special food. We were sitting there eating french fries and drinking Coke, you know, mm. but it was great. I mean, yeah. th- the race car came on the road to the racetrack, they drove took the there on the road, yeah. they took the yeah. bumpers off, take the seats <laughs> out, and then we were going. This was the, the, the basic of motorsport, you know. And, and, there were, and there were two of you, not four of you not, like, nowadays. No, two you. no my, my yeah. partner was Clemens Schickendanz, you know, he, he was a, a nice guy driving, we were two, you know. And we, I mean, we clicked together and we did it, you know. And we had all kinds of weather issues and stuff like this, but the engine was fine, the car was staying together, and we won the race. And it was driven home on the road?
1: Yes, definitely. Wonderful. Was there, was there any question, as, as a young teenager, that you wanted to do anything else? Was, was you, you, were, you were born in the sort of the space, a, a space race era when p- kids were thinking about, I want to be an astronaut, I want to do this, I want to fly jet planes. But for you, was it always the, the virus for petrol? For there, was about
2: a, there was about a half a year uh, doubt. Ah. And you will be laughing, I want to become a priest. Yes, <laughs> but, can you, but thanks <laughs> to God, is not the case. Because can you imagine me being a priest would be terrible for a Catholic Church, you
1: know? I would go to your church if oh, you okay. were. Okay. <laughs> your sermons would be wonderful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: no, this was about a half an hour. Uh, where I had this you know but it changed pretty quickly because yeah. as I told yesterday my father was building uh, the AFM race car on, on our premises mm-hmm. and I as a kid was watching the mechanics They sampled the car put it on the truck and stuff like this so it, it was logic I wanted this and then from this moment on, I decided I want to become a race driver. I also followed my dad to the, his last races in the 60s you know yes. and, uh, and admired him but what he did he, the performance he put on the table and seeing what motorsport means you know to fight with something you have to put you your, your your will and wish onto the car, you know, was really for me it was fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, th- so this period, um, did did you race at other circuits uh, around Germany at this time, or did, was it s- was it solely at the Nurburgring where you were f- you were sort of finding your 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 skill and your passion?
2: No, it was uh, also Hockenheim, of course. Yes. And in these days, to become an international license, you had to have to have five results in the top three. Okay. And my dad had a great idea. You know what? After this first race, knowing it was a a 300 kilometer race, I did four hill climb races. Ah. Because hill climb is not, not much uh, to do because you drive up twice on, on the weekend and was valuable positions and points for my international license. So I did uh, four hill climb racing, I think I won three of them. Yeah. And it was also good practice because hill climb is a, is a one of a chance, you know. On, yes. a, on, a, on a, a circuit race you do 20, 30, 40 laps, but on a heel climb you only have two chances. And the time you lose on the run you can't make up. So it was, was a good educational uh, phase for me.
1: Sure.
0: you, well you say it's not much to do at a hill climb, but a, most European hill climbs—I mean are about 10, 12, 14 kilometers long. They're not like British hill climbs that last twenty seconds.
2: <laughs> that, that's right, like St. Louis. Not the one was a pretty long one in Freiburg. Schauinsland is about a, was about a five minute, but the other one were short ones, and uh, the time around was pretty good.
3: Were you driving just just touring cars? Yeah,
2: touring cars, Always BMW in the beginning. Yeah.
1: So let, let's let's move into the the seventies. Now, you, you developed a, a relationship with Jochen Nierspach. Maybe Nierpach, maybe you can tell me a little bit about how important um, he was in, in the 70s to your to your career.
2: Yeah, I did the first years with BMW with Köpchen, Alpina, and then Jochen yeah. Nierpacz, who was in these days race director of Ford Motorsport in Cologne. He approached me and said, uh, look, I've, I've watched you, I've seen you. He actually talked to my dad, and I think you're an interesting uh, kid. I, I see you have a lot of talent. Would you be willing to race for for us in 72 in the German championship? Mm-hmm. My dad said yes, thank you. Good idea, you know, B- signed a good contract. So I went up to Cologne and won this uh, Deutsche Rennsport in 72. Also won then uh, the race in, in Spa with Jochen Maas, 24-hour race. And then, funny enough, Jochen Nerpas moved from Ford to BMW. Yes, Because BMW changed all their racing things and everything. And they hired Jochen Nerpas, who was definitely in these days one of the best as a race director. And then Jochen Erpersingen said, Hans, you know, you have to be, you have to drive for BMW. So come, come with me, you know, which was <laughs> a good chance. Yes. And, so I came back to BMW with Jochen and Jochen then uh, was really taking good care of my career. He brought me into Formula 2 because BMW did its Formula 2 engine. Then I came via Formula 2 into Formula 1 and then went with BMW to the States and this and that. So mm. it was definitely the right step. Also, what you need in life is luck. If NEPA shouldn't have moved back to BMW, when no, I would have ended up, you know. So you see.
1: Yeah, let's <coughs> laugh. Sure thing, and and I think it was interesting as well at that time because very quickly you 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 were racing in America with mm-hmm. with Ronnie Peterson as well, and that was that, that must have been an incredible experience to go over to the other side of the Atlantic and try those circuits. Um, tell me about your experience in 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 the states.
2: Yeah, when I, when I left, seventy five, and then I was twenty four years old, you know, yeah. and I, I, we I had to go like the first uh, break was like three months in a row, you know, leaving home for a long time the first time. So I took toothpaste with me, <laughs> hair shampoo, not knowing <laughs> me, stupid guy. <laughs> it's all over there in the States, 100,000 times, you yeah. know. And I also <laughs> took my girlfriend, which was good, you know. She, she was able to come with me. And uh, then the first trip was to uh, Chicago. We picked up um, uh, one of these fantastic GMC motorhomes. Oh, yeah. Because Jochen said, when you take a girlfriend, we pay, but you have, you have to take care of the motorhome, you know. So we went into a motorhome and uh, we traveled around in the States for for the next three months, which was was cool for 24 year old, you know, to get this experience in the States, to get to know the States, because, you know, when you're you're a race car driver, you go to different tracks all over the country. It's the best experience you can do. And I really um, thank again to Jochen that that I could do this, because I built up my character with this, you know, to become an open open for the world and and a, a good person able to do things and to able to, uh, to take experiences, you know. Yeah.
0: Can I just rewind a couple of years, you mentioned the Spa 24 hours, mm-hmm. I mean, in the 1970s, I mean, given the speed differentials between the cars, the ability differentials between the drivers, and you're on the Spa, I mean, how difficult a race was that at that time? It kind of difficult was
2: because you had uh, very little safety. Only you know, when I mean you go the, to the Master King, you yeah, know, in the sure.
0: BMW, the yeah. little Fiat or something. And well, you know, it's That's right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I
2: mean, there, there was a was a good sense of, of common understanding between between the drivers. We also had some terrible accidents, which in motorsport happened. You know, but it built your built up your character because you knew you have to live with each other, not against each other, you know. There was competition on one side, but on the other side, fairness was a, vi- was a very important thing in my life that, that my also my dad taught me when, when I became a race car driver, you know. <coughs> and I think in in my whole 43 years, I got once punished for a thing because I pushed somebody off because I was breaking too late, you know. And I think this fairness is also a, a very big point in my career. And I'm b- uh, proud to, to, to be able to say so, that I have never uh, been a constant... Guy who pushed somebody off the track, you know.
1: Well, we'll move on to that. There's there's an interesting connection between that and your role today in Formula E, as well as uh, stewards. But we'll we'll (laughs) we'll jump forward to that um, shortly. Um, At at this time, um, was your was your ambition to just race? any car, any place, or did you have a, a, a driving ambition to go to Formula One or single-seaters? How, how was your mindset at that time?
2: No, the mindset was just to get on the racetrack. Sure. Whatever that had, four wheels, you know. Four wheels is important, two wheels, I'm pretty, r- <laughs> lots of respect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that was, was a great attitude because with a variety of different, different things I drove, good cars, bad cars, single-seaters, closed cars, sports cars, touring cars, I improved my, my skills you know, because every car had a different character. A Touring car was a big, leaning, moving, doing like this, a sports car had to be very precise. Formula One guy had lots of power, a lot of aero, and the versatility that I learned by this, you know, was for, for sure one of, of, my, of the good things I needed for to be able to do all this, you know.
1: Sure. And of course, um, your graduation to Formula One came after just six open wheel races. Uh, I mean, that is extraordinary. I mean, you mentioned the license situation earlier on. Did you have the license? Did you? How did it? W- how did it well, work? There
2: was no less you know. I, w- yeah. I was scheduled to do Formula Two in '74. Yeah. And then in January, Max Mossi ring my dad said, uh, "Hans, we have a problem. Our uh, our main driver Jean-Peugeot moves to Shadow, I think. We have a seat free, and we don't have anybody to drive for us in Argentina. Could you maybe your son do it?" So daddy asked me, he it Formula One?" Oh Jesus Christ! Yes, <laughs> I go to I, I go to Argentina, you know arriving <laughs> in buenos aires never sat in my life before in a formula one car we did the seat down and i went on the track you know mm. can you imagine for, for, for uh, 24 or 24 year a guy is pretty yeah. uh, heavy thing you know i, I was driving around a couple of laps and i feel pretty comfortable and all of a sudden woo, a car passed me on the outside it was carlos reutemann <coughs> i said okay now it's time to go home <laughs> i never can do this <laughs> so i took my heart i went up to mr Reutemann, I said carlos my name is Hans Stuck, I'm a young Formula 1 driver. i never been on the track here, could you please be so kind and explain me the track? I'm with me. Took his yeah. private car, did 20 laps with me around the track, explained me everything, and I was like 15 in, in qualifying, which was cool for, for my first event, you know. Yeah. So thanks to Carlos, you know, he showed me, uh, showed me a lot, you know, and that's how it all started, but the pressure was, was immense, you know, yeah. as you can imagine.
1: You, did you have pressure? W- was it pressure you put on, on yourself or was it pressure from your father? Was oh, it pressure from the team myself, or on myself.
2: On I mean, yourself? All of a sudden, as a young Bavarian chicken, <laughs> being with all those guys, Nicky and Carlos Reutemann and Carlos Pace and Claire Gasoni. I mean, oh Jesus Christ, you know me, the unknown person from the mountains, you know, mm. in the top class of motorsport. Can you imagine with this age? I mean, now, because... Everybody is so young. It's not a big problem, you know. But for yeah. me, it was a big problem, you know. Yeah. But I, I managed it. It was okay. And after the f- first two or three races, I was pretty familiar with what was going on.
1: But you were still balancing other um, drives as well. You, you I had still to. Had I had contract, yeah. I
2: had to. You know. Right. So I, I was telling you yesterday, there were there were uh, three weeks in a row. I did touring car, Formula Two, Formula One. You know, and once t- I remember there was a Formula 1 race in, Bra- in Brands Hatch on Saturday, because racing is here in England on Saturday, and Sunday was touring car racing deep on the airport in Germany. So I flew over and said evening did Sunday race in German uh, touring
1: car, you know. Yeah. So how much time did you spend at home during this period? <laughs> 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 Enough to change laundry, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I was, um, Simon, I can see you, you. You got a Capri question, haven't you? Or was that the? Spark? No, 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 yeah, no, no. Well, that was the,
0: that was the, yeah, that was the spark question. I was yeah. going to ask. I mean, how? Um, I mean, how comfortable or how quickly did you feel comfortable in Formula One? Because it was very, it was so different, and you got there so quickly.
2: You know, you, you see my, my height 6.4, you know, it yeah. was a bit of a problem. I was always sticking out of the car. Above the air, into the airbox. over the airbox, yeah. air which was bad for the air coming into the engine. And also from the from the wind resistance, you know. You could see that I was lacking maybe two 300 revs on the end of the straight against my, my teammate like Ronnie or so. But there was no choice, you know. It was diff- became difficult when there came a rule that you have to put a, a piece of wood from the front roll bar to the rear uh, overall, overall hoop, you know? And the driver had to be below this. So I really had to wind myself into the car to, that, that fits, you know? So being in a Formula 1 car sitting was not very comfortable, but I mean, what do you want to do? We, I had to. And then so, after this third, fourth race, then I began to know everything, to be, to I learned the system, I knew how it works, how the race strategy works, and Then it was okay.
3: Must have been quite difficult When you were given the offer to think, if I perform badly, maybe that's it. So did you think maybe I'm not ready, or was it?
2: I mean, this was this was always the 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 pressure behind my neck, you know. I mean, if if I if I do not, I'm not giving a good job or crashing all the time, I knew I would lose my seat, you know. So thanks to a good education and thanks to the uh, good genes of my dad and my mom, you know, I was able to manage it, you know.
0: And, w- and was it a free was it a free drive with March? Because Max wasn't known for giving free drives. <laughs> no. Yes, I even made some money,
2: a l- little bit, you know, a little bit of money. But it was some money got the expenses paid and got I think I think it was five thousand dollar per year or so, which was good for twenty four year, you know. And then of course when Jagermeister came in later, then was some really, some big money for for these days, of course, you know.
1: There's a there's a question here from uh, a, a Griff Jones which re- refers to the 1974 Monaco Grand Prix and uh, and the March time. So there was the accident, of course. Um, and he Griff mentions that in Mike Lawrence's book about March racing cars, there's a passage regarding your accident. He writes, Stuck's car launched into the air and into a spectacular crash. He escaped without physical in- injury. Um, what it did to his edge is another matter. He was never quite the same afterwards. You, do you Distantly
2: agree with that no, assumption? Absolutely absolutely wrong. No. You know, absolutely wrong. I mean, the thing was that because James closed the door, mm. which happened in Formula One. I went over his uh, with my left front over his right rear, so the car moved up in the air. And a picture, never forget this, because on the right side was a fence, and there were people leaning over the fence. You know, So it was just like the car didn't go into the fence area because it would have for sure injured many people. So the car went down again and then hit the guardrail. But physically, the crash was not yeah. bad at all and yeah. f- for sure remembering did not harm me in any in any case, definitely not no
1: so i mean this was possibly the most dangerous era in in Formula one racing in the in the seventies it. It, it was yeah i mean it was one <coughs> one after another mm-hmm. i mean how how did you manage to to continue mm-hmm. racing to to put this yep. stuff aside it's
2: this is a question I've been asked a couple of times yeah. you know, and it is a very lucky thing that is in in my head obviously. You know, when when I lost friends like uh, Ronnie or Mm. Gary Burrell or, or whatever, you know, or Tom Price in the States was really involved in the accident. It really, I was shocked, really shocked. But when I got to the next race weekend and sit in the car, there was a switch that switched it off. And I did not think one second about it, you know. And this is, was very lucky for me, because if I would sit in the race car before the, the start or the practice of the race and think about what had happened a week ago to my friend, I wouldn't be able to drive. So there was an internal mechanism, which I can't explain, that t- that it just wasn't there, lucky sure. enough. Yeah. Same with the Le Mans accidents, which, where I lost my, my team partner and French Joe Gartner, yeah. you know, I had to continue in the race. When I, I stood in the car, it just wasn't there, thanks to God. Yeah. But I can't explain. <coughs>
1: And another related question from uh, Giovanni. Um, There's a video clip of uh, the 76 German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. We can see you waving your arms, signaling to the other drivers. Only seconds after the crash, you were one of those brave drivers challenging the Nürburgring for real. Um, But he asked, interestingly, how did that accident change Formula One?
2: Uh, It changed a lot in terms of the Nürburgring. Mm-hmm. because after nikki's then there was no, no for a long time no no formula one race up there you know because the uh the nürburgring in these days was at the limit for formula one because with these corners you couldn't look around no almost no runoff areas we had these uh stupid catch fences with big wooden poles when which uh, hit nikki on the head for mm-hmm. example So also already before the race, we had discussions in driver's briefing. Mm -hmm. I remember that uh, James Hunt, one of the leading guys, said, I don't want to race here because it's just too dangerous, you know, compared to other tracks. And they were right, you know. So finally, with this accident, Nicky, he put some new input into safety of Formula One, Mm -hmm. which was in these days totally all right.
1: And do you think it happened soon enough? I mean, we we still had another, you know, four, five, six, seven years where there were some very mm. serious accidents. But do you think there should have been uh, changes to the vehicles in particular maybe at that point or it just…
2: But, you know, this, this is a, a certain development of time. For example, mm. if I jump back to the d- days of my dad in the auto union, you know, I get mm. to drive this car two or three times a year, you know. I'm still wondering how could the guys do this? There were no seat beds There were a, a terrible seating position in the car. But uh, these days, for them, they didn't have any better. Mm-hmm. It developed from there. So in my days of Formula One, I didn't have any better. But it it developed because of people were thinking about it. You know, look at Formula One t- uh, today now. Yes. I mean, who who would ever thought we have this 20 years ago? Look in other in GT3 cars. Look in terms of track safety. It is always. At a time, and then it improves. But this is normal. It's in, it, it's the same in in a normal life as well. Yeah, sure.
0: And your your father drove an Auto Union with a cloth cap on. Yes,
2: cloth cap, goggles, no seat belts. You know, the arms hanging out on the side. You know, when they when they came for refueling, he put a towel around his head then put the the, the the fuel. I mean, okay, but they didn't know any other. You know, that's right. It's the same with when you. I'm um, pretty good friend with Reinhold Messmer, the the, fi- the famous uh, mountain uh, uh, expedition man. You know. When you go to his museum, when, when he climbed up to the whatever mountain, the equipment he had, you know, I mean, that he survived in these temperatures. Unbelievable. Now we have insulated clothes and shoes and everything. He didn't have, but he also did it and he didn't have any better, so it's development.
1: Sure thing. Um, th- th- there's a quote that I keep going back to when I, when I look at your career, um, which is, uh, a man is known by the company he keeps. Now, it, in in your in relation to your career, the company you keep, I see, I see as teammates. And, I've, and I wrote down some of your teammates. Um, so Peterson, Mass, Bell, Pirro, Beeler, Roll, Eamon, Tom Christensen, Carlos Sainz as well is in there too. Um, you've partnered with some of the very, very greatest drivers in, in history. Um, what What makes a good teammate? From from your perspective, and um, perhaps you can give me s- some stories of of these guys and what they, what it was like to drive with with some of them.
2: Okay, so the first real star that I was able to race was Ronnie Peterson. Yeah, and I learned a lot from him. I was my mind was always open when I had one of these guys with me. Be open and look what they're doing. Check check out what they're doing. So from Ronnie, for example, I learned he went he get into a race car, he did fifteen laps, drove. Whatever was possible, and then started to complain. I did it other before. I did three laps and said, I don't like this, I don't like that, and then came in. But uh-huh. Ronnie gave me a good idea about because after three laps, you can tell what the car does, you know. So yeah. it was really good. And Ronnie, he was always giving 100% which I didn't do before. I learned from Uh him as well. Even the car was shit, sorry to say so, he gave 100% that made him successful. So I I learned from him, you know. And all the other other guys, like what is important to have a a, a good partner is that you don't have, develop an ego. For example, a long distance race, you have a partner who wants to be do the fastest lap in the night, for sure you don't finish a race, you know. You do have to do a job together. It's like being like being married, you know. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but that's what it is, <laughs> <easy>, you know. so <laughs> Derek was fantastic in this, you know. Frank Bieler, we we're competitive, good guys, you know. Carlos Sainz. He came into the Chirocco and he told us he told us the the the, the chassis is undrivable. We liked it. So he <laughs> he put his ideas on setting it down the car was fifty percent better, you know. So you never stop learning, it's incredible. Wow. I think also some they learned some things from from myself, you so know, yeah. regarding telematic things, of corner speed and braking points. But it was a vice versa uh, experience, you know.
1: Yeah, and there's a question from uh, Flying Kiwi is his is his name here. Uh, a lot of us were sad to say goodbye to Chris Amon. Um, what are your memories of sharing the BMW with with Chris?
2: Yeah, Chris came to the BMW, to came to the Nürburgring, not the Nürburgring, but he was shocked how difficult it was to go in the ring with a, with a, a 3 as a saloon car. It was a heavy, leaning car and everything, yeah. you know. And he said, I think he was like in the beginning, he was like 20 seconds slower. And he said, Hans, I can't do that, Chris. We sit together, we go around, I show you all the tricks, and don't worry, we're we going to win the race, but he finally did, you know. But he was very, he was the kind of guy that you, that you like in 2 seconds you know okay. he was he was a fantastic he was a star but he was a, a guy totally fit on the ground you know yeah. and by by coming up and clicking together and see it works we were successful you know yeah. but it, it, you have to be open minded you know there are, there were there were some guys i did not get along with i don't want to mention any names but it happens if you are two different it doesn't work
1: you know sure L- let's go back to a, a comment you just made about what your teammates possibly learned from you how how would you appraise your own driving? Where what were your strengths? And um, maybe go into a little bit more detail about what your teammates learned from, from you. Okay,
2: number one, they were all shocked about my, my rain my rain uh, driving ability. You know, mm. I don't know what it, maybe my popometer here, <laughs> the thing the <laughs> connection between the car and I the road and yourself, has <laughs> special sensors. You know, but uh, in the rain I was always pretty good, and they were always said, "How is he doing it?" I said, "Because, you know, for me when it comes to rain." I'm excited to master the rain. All the others or so most of them they were scared of the rain, aqua yeah. planning and how d- how to put the power down. To me it was fantastic to be, be to be forced to be gentle, to try them every lap, go a little bit faster, a little fast because it changed in the wet, you know. I loved it. Yeah. And the, most of them were really shocked about my rain abilities, you know. Yeah. And they could also learn then. But rain it was
0: something that I really still love, you know. Yeah. What was was any of that down to your background, your upbringing? coming from the mountains, winter winter driving conditions, did, I mean, d- did, that, did that sort of help? Yeah,
2: maybe winter we, we a little bit, because in these days there was no, no salt on the roads and stuff like this, so you had to be... You didn't have winter b- time. This is also because like uh, Mika Häkkinen, and Mika Salo, yeah. now you have drivers like Valtteri Bottas. they are used to days of like five, six months winter in the year, so their reflexes and senses are maybe better
0: than, uh, you, like in England, have almost no snow during the winter. Makes sense, yeah. And we've talked about teammates. Can I ask you about team principals, or one team principal, (laughs) for whom you drove in the mid-1970s, Mr. Eccleston? What what was he like as a boss and what was your relationship with Bernie like?
2: Fantastic guy, you know. I mean, Bernie, he was pretty sharp, you know, but he was 100% reliable, what he said he did. You know, you could trust him, which is still the case, you know. He was, uh, sometimes he was a little bit strange, but I'm strange as well, I think, you know. But uh, he knew exactly what I was talking about. I mean, what would Formula 1 be if he wouldn't have managed it the last decades, you know? He was a very good businessman. He was a, a smart team owner. He was a smart businessman. He knew what was going on. Really, I must say, to race for, to race for Bernie, uh, apart from the from the days with Porsche, definitely the best man I was allo- allowed to work for.
3: You say you can you can trust him, but the way he signed you... I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, you know the story, you know, when I, when I came to his
2: office to sign my contract, he asked me how much money I wanted. I said, yeah, like the money I got the year before, with mostly with March, was $100,000. I had to take care of my mom everything. And then when we discussed, the phone rang. And it was obviously Arturo Mazzario on the phone, the tele-informal one-driver, and they talked a little bit, burning up and said, Hans, this was Arturo. He's going to raise for me for 30000 You have five minutes' time to think. Thirty thousand, not very much, but I mean, being in probably one of the best cars with the engine with Bernie, I do it. So I signed the contract. We went to Monte Carlo. First free practice Thursday was fastest. Bernie had me for dinner. Said, "Look, Hans, you know, uh, we having obviously a long relationship going on for the future. I want to be honest to you. Remember sitting in my office talking about money and the phone ring." Said, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. The pocket is empty. He said, I must tell you, it was not a tour. It was my secretary. She fooled me. I said, okay, <coughs> that's it. I mean, this is Bernie. It's, I mean, it's his money. So why not? You know, so but I got a good money for the championship points. I made a couple of points, so, and, and it was definitely worth giving in. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I like this kind of tricks. It's good, you know. I, I also <laughs> fooled him because then we came to Hockenheim Grand Prix, and he was and, and we needed some tickets for friends. You know said, "No, you get two tickets, nothing more." And w- obviously, he opened his briefcase. There are tons of tickets in the in the briefcase. So he left the motorhome. I opened the briefcase, took ten tickets out, and gave him
1: away. You know, he never <laughs> realized. You know, I also
2: told him afterwards, "Oh, you bad boy!" You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is business in these days. You know, uh,
1: there's there's possibly another Bernie story here as well, and it's related to a question from Giancarlo. Um, so, thank you, Mr. Stewart, for your racing. Very entertaining. Um, and this is the question about flipping over the guardrail in Monaco during the pro car race. Um, so, yeah, I believe Bernie wasn't particularly happy about that. <laughs> well,
2: That's right. There was oil. I had an oil pipe breaking, so I, I, I lost the car, went over the guardrail, jumped over the guard in between guardrail and, and, and fencing could hardly get out and it took a while to get the car and the guardrail was damaged. So that meant that the official qualifying had to be postponed, you know. And with the with the slot time for television worldwide, and Bernie was very upset. You <laughs> idiot, why did you do this, you know. Now we get problems with television. Yeah, Bernie, what can I do, you know. Now he was very much upset about it. You know.
0: <laughs> can I, just um, on the subject of pro cars, Brands Hatch, 1980, um, about 15 pro cars arrived in a group. You were in the middle of them. You spun. Mm -hmm. And I've never, usually a first corner spin, you lose, you know, I think you dropped from about third to seventh or something. I've never, you probably lost about three tenths. Can can you remember that? (laughs) Uh, I remember, but but three tenths, I don't, it's not not (laughs) correct. No, no. But,
2: my, my good luck was that I, I managed to bring the car back into dri- the racing direction, shift it back in first gear and then accelerate yeah, again. Because you, you, you didn't emerge last, you were still right, really yeah in yeah the yeah middle of the pack yeah somewhere. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, this is something, when, when, you, uh, you know, when, you, when you feel you lose it, then the first thing is what I'm going to hit, but there was room, you know. And then when the car starts to spin, then you can influence it by braking or even put the swat on to get it back into the right direction. And this was, was well managed, you know. <laughs> Was it
3: also brand sad that you and Ronnie Peterson went home?
2: Yes, <laughs> there was another race with BMW 320 Turbo, and uh, after this, after the start, after two three laps, I, I, I crashed the car in the back of the of the track, you know, and I think it was over the guardrail, no, but it was sitting somewhere, and I got out and I see everything parts hanging off and everything, so I walked back to the pit side. Ronnie, sorry, <coughs> I crashed it, but we go home because it's it that's over now because the race was going on. Okay, we leave, you know, he took Barbara, I took my wife, we left, I left to the airport, Ronnie was on b- b- back on the way to Maidenhead. And uh, next Monday, I got a phone call from Jochen Nerpasch's office. Mr. Nerpasch wants to see you right away in the office, you know. So I was living in Munich, I went to the office, and Nerpasch uh, said, Ja Hans, we have a problem. When you left the track yesterday with Ronnie, after a couple laps the race was interrupted because of an accident, they brought the car back, mechanics could fix it, and the car was on the grid, but there were no drivers. Oh, good. <laughs> 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 and then he said, My dear friend, the only luck is that also Ronnie was gone. He would have gone alone, I would have, I would fire you know. but, but he couldn't fire Ronnie Peterson and myself, you know, so yeah. we had to pay 10,000 Deutschmark fine both, you know. And then we learned a lesson, definitely, you know. Never leave the track before <laughs> the race is over, you know. <laughs> but if we do it nowadays, impossible. No.
4: Um
1: back back to Bernie and the Brabham from a o time. Lu, uh, Lucio Chiodi, Um I remember your first podium finish at Hockenheim uh, in the Brabham from a o You stopped right after the finishing line greeting everybody. Happy like a Christmas tree. <laughs> Because I, because I had to stop because I ran
2: out of gas ah there we go <laughs> <laughs> going into the, the last <laughs> corner I feel there's no gas and then there was a, a big headline in a German big newspaper it was saying Stuck Tuck 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 because I stuttered over the finish line I had to stop I cou- couldn't make another lap You know, yeah. the tank was empty the um, Alpha was Alpha engine was great yeah, but it was l- pretty high in consumption so I just managed to go over the line and finish in place. You know,
0: yeah. I was going to say because at least, at least you managed to get across the line because usually with Wattie it happened about up and a half from the end yeah that's <laughs> right uh, exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it would be a problem for now because now I
2: think we have to finish the last lap. Yes, that's why. Right. Yeah. so and you have yeah. to have yeah. a certain amount of fuel yeah, yeah. left yeah, in yeah, for yeah. it. In nobody wanted
1: yeah. to know about this. And then um, ag- again, related to, to Bernie, um, uh, th- there is a story you can tell me whether it's tr- true or not about whether Bernie put pressure on you at your what could have been your last race. He said you need to win this this race, and you had pole position. Um, so that's true. So Bernie said, you, if you win this race. And you get on a contract for
2: next year because Parmalat wanted to have a, a, a Grand Prix winning driver. Yes. <coughs> I hadn't won a Grand Prix so far. I was mm-hmm. on pole. Next to me was James Sunset said, Bernie, you go out and win and you beca- get a contract for next year. You know, I said, super, let's do it, you know. So I had a pretty good start. But at the start, the clutch cable broke. Because in these days, the Alpha had a clutch cable. It was mm-hmm. not a hydraulic clutch, which was in these days sometimes happened. And I knew by leading the race that I have to do all the shifting with the 7-speed gearbox without a clutch, you know. And also I had to change tires from wet to slick, so how should I get off in the pits with having no clutch, you know. So I was a little bit uh, nervous, okay, and then made a driving mistake in a corner up the hill. I didn't get into gear and I spun, I stopped and that was it, you know. And now my dream exploded, you know, because not finishing the race, not winning, no contract. Yeah. And I said sorry. I told you to go to win said yeah but it was your problem with your bloody clutch said, It's <laughs> not my problem you <laughs> didn't win the race so you don't get the contact yeah. then and uh, Nicky, Nicky jumped in then yeah. You know? So
0: yeah.
2: That's life. Yeah. One time's too lucky, one time's your bad luck.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this was this was a trigger for a kind of a second career when in the, in the 80s and and sports cars. That that was a fantastic period for you, wasn't it? Yeah. That was you know did w- w- was it Again, was was it an ambition as Formula One kind of closed its door that you would look to, to sports cars again or was it always running parallel?
2: No, my, n- my main goal was to stay into racing, you know? yeah. So I had my, my backup with BMW with touring cars, you know, which yeah. was nice, but it wasn't Formula One. And then when this portion nine five six came and nine six two came, you know, Walter Brun, my my, uh, my Swiss teammate in BMW before I raced for him, he bought such a car, you know, and I could get uh, got the chance to go into this Porsche and sh- show my skills, you know. Mm. And then when Stefan Belloff left the Porsche factory as a driver, I rang Porsche and said, Here, you know, Mr. Professor Bott, uh, I have no contract for next year. I know Stefan Bellner is leaving, and he's a driver. You g- oh, I said, Oh, you really you want to leave BMW? I said, I mean, for Porsche, I guess, why not? Yeah. Okay, come yeah. next day and we signed a contract, you know. And, uh, and I got a really a chance for my second career. I learned a lot with Porsche. Mm-hmm. Complete different driving style due to the cars. Complete style of education that like Porsche was doing. Race, approaching races, and uh, as you just said, it was a, a second step in my career, very successful step. You know, winning titles, races, and everything that hadn't been the case so much before. So intensive.
1: Yeah, and this, of course, was also a period where you cemented your relationship with some some teammates. And and you mentioned Derek Bell earlier on. He's been a great guest. For on these podcasts before, um, can you tell me a little bit about sharing a car with Derek and why you seem to have such great uh, camaraderie and yeah. sympathy with each other? I mean,
2: Derek was helping me in '73 in Formula Two. You know, I was in an S.T.P. March on the way in Hockenheim, mm. and was actually on the way to the pits. And he passed me. He, he slowed down and made, like this, sort of, sort of follow me sign. Maybe he followed yeah. me bef- before I didn't know. So I followed him three or four laps he showed me where in Hockenheim could improve my time which was very generous from him to do so and that's when when we became friends after we always stayed together for a long time and then uh, I I obviously found read about his success with Porsche and everything and then when I joined Porsche the professor bot asked me who you want to be teammate teammate with you want to be teammate with Jochen or with Jackie or with Derek I said Derek Bell this is my man because we also a bit similar in size you of know we, we knew each other well we had a good sense of humor common understanding and this was a good choice because derek when we were together in the car we never any problems we knew exactly what we could do what we can do what we should do mm. and when he was in the car i was always calm and and, and relaxed and he, i hope he was the same with me you know yeah and this is a, and being good mates is important for team success yeah definitely do
3: you think um al holbert was a little bit uh, underrated Yes, definitely.
2: I mean Al Holbert thanks you mentioned this, you know, when he joined us for Le Mans, I must say I d- I knew him of course and I raced against him in the States, but never knew before what a what a fine guy he is, what a what a precise guy in racing he is, you know. And he was a a very hundred percent partner to our uh to some Mr. you know. And thanks to him we won twice, you know.
3: And then um nineteen eighty eight. Um I think you wrote for us that it was your greatest race, despite the one that you didn't win. So what are your sort of memories of? This
2: was with the, with the night shift, I think. Was the one with uh, the night L- shift? L- uh, Ludwig. I ah, was Ludwig. Ah, yeah, with my friend Ludwig. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the typical, I don't want to say any bad things about former teammates, but Klaus, he always mm. wanted to be the best. He wanted to show that he is the best, which he sometimes was, definitely, you know? And he always is, was known for being extremely clever. And he wanted to show Derek and myself to do one more lap than the two of us, you know, to be the smartest guy in full consumption. But he, sorry, fucked up, you know. <laughs> he run out of gas, you know, and he had to call. He had to enter the pits with a starter motor. That's why we lost the race, you know. And I think so. Cleverness is not everything, you know. You have to be down to earth, you know. I mean, okay, if we finished the place. Why not? Nothing happened, but
1: <laughs> your um, your sense of humor. Uh that point did it desert you completely you're famous Complete for your <laughs> 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 but, you
2: know, when 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 he was due to come in I was next after him, you yeah. know and we counted the laps and then he passed the pit and said, Hey, why don't you come in? I have enough fuel for another lap. We all said, That's it. It it just doesn't work. Or he, he goes in, in in third gear around the corner around the track, which wasn't possible of course. And then we see him coming and all of a sudden he slowed down. And then we you know, okay, that's
0: it outsmarted himself you know during the 80s while you were racing sports cars with porsche you also did some carried on doing some saloon car racing with with bmw i mean it's was that much of a balancing act i mean with were were both parties quite happy with that
2: yes absolutely it was always sure because when when you had because this the porsche team was together with audi and you know the big man in the company was professor piech who actually then when he was with, with Audi, he got asked Porsche to give permission that he, I can drive for them and there, wasn't, there was no doubt that they would let me do it, you know. And also, as I said before, driving all kinds of different cars, even I did uh, a truck race in the, in the, in the early 2000s, it just mo- brings you forward. It's different experience, you know, you learn and learn and learn and this is
0: really good for your experience and your, your experience level. Can I also ask if you're talking of BMWs and touring cars, in nineteen eighty three you did a part season in the British Saloon Car Championship. It was quite political at the time because you had Tom Walkinshaw with his rovers and you had Frank Sittner with his BMW and the, the, the kind of there was a lot of friction between Sittner and Walkinshaw. And then you arrived and instead of teaming up with Sittner against Walkinshaw, we then had Sittner against Stuck against Walkinshaw. And it, I mean it was <laughs> I mean I, I was I was covering the championship that year, and it was great fun. But I mean what I mean what are your I mean there was a, there was a lot of friction, but it was it was it was fun to watch what, what are your recollections?
2: It was fun to watch, but i I remembered for me it was a problem because it was a, a right hand drive car, you know, so the first time left I always touched <laughs> the door with, that, with the right hand looking for the gear lever, which was difficult but you know but the, the driving the driving fun out of it was for me was fantastic, and I kept myself totally out of any politics, you know, so I did my job. Johann derpoche was the boss he told me what to do, and then I did, it and that was it, you know I mean. To drive it then against tom was really interesting because i drove against him the jaguar with bmw and uh, driving with and against mr stitner was interesting but i kept myself out of
1: political things which was a good good choice you know i'm conscious that we'll it was um called Tri-Moco
2: championship wasn't it Sorry? it was called Trimoco championship wasn't
0: it uh, yes the or yeah or tricentral yes. Yes. yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, very good
2: being good, mem- <laughs> being back good memories you know <laughs>
1: I'm conscious that we'll run out of time if, if, uh, and and we won't get to our reader questions. So I'll go, I'll go jump into to, to our reader questions. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, there's, um, th- there's, there's, there's two here, and I'm going to go back to the sense of humour one. The first one is who made you laugh the most in Formula One, and this is a question from Anthony Jenkins. And then I have a follow-up question.
2: I told, uh, definitely James Hunt, you know, <laughs> because he had he had some <laughs> kind of attitude that is similar to mine, but ten times more, you know. <laughs> he was enjoying life when it was when it was appropriate, you know. Yeah. He was full of shit, you know, and <laughs> that's good. It was, so we had fun together. Yeah. One thing I didn't do, I, w- I didn't drink. Up to now, I don't do not drink. Maybe a little gin in the evening, just very little. But the rest, we were like, it was just fun to have him you know, yeah. around,
1: you know. Was James underestimated as a, as a as a driver because no, of his? No, 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 no,
2: no. He did his job, you know. I mean, he was yeah. he was able to enjoy life? P- and performing 100%. This is t- uh, something that I really also was aiming for, because it's great. Because yeah. if you look at some drivers, they're they are so focused, that there's no life around them, you know? Yeah. And for example, when when we had this uh, traveling around in Formula 1, uh, experience new countries, James and myself, I took chance to stay a little, a little bit longer, arrive earlier, and enjoy the life down there, because it's experience. Others come the, the minute before and leave the minute after terrible isn't it mm-hmm. not getting any to know about the country about people because this is experience that also uh, uh, builds up your, your personal character
1: yeah practical jokes I'm gonna ask about practical jokes and there's one story that um, I managed to uncover from the internet um, which was about how you managed to make another driver crash using the assets of a one story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps that story can yeah, be. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were in
2: 75 uh, doing Imsa racing in the States with BMW with my teammate, Austrian fellow, very funny guy, Dita Cuesta. And in these days, I had my girlfriend, Muki. She was with me in the States, I told before. And Muki was well known for the size of her breast, you know. <laughs> And Dieter always wanted to see these breasts without anything covered, which of course is not possible, you know, she was <laughs> my girlfriend, you know. <laughs> so at this race in uh, Riverside, we were standing, Dieter was driving practice, and Muki myself watching in turn number nine, which was a second gear, 90 degree turn. And we see Dieter coming, we wave, we wave, he waved back, you know, stuff like this. And the, the th- third time he came by, when he came, I from the back, I lifted Mookie's T-shirt, the breast fall out, <laughs> didn't look at it, and <laughs> poof, question to the guardrail, you know, can you believe it? You know.
1: That's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it? we were <laughs> laughing our ass off here. So.
2: But then shortly afterwards, we had a report to Mr. Nirpas, who, who was a great guy, but not known to be very funny. And he said, <laughs> okay, guys, what you have done is unacceptable. It's very bad for a BMW reputation, especially in the States. I mean, to, to do this, you can't do it and the punishment will be that you have to pay pay for the repair of the car and we will not reimburse you for the expenses. Oh, that's a big problem. What did Queste say? Jochen, no problem, this was definitely worth the peep (laughs) (laughs) shot. Cool
1: story, yes. (laughs) Fantastic. I'm not quite sure how we follow Follow that one, to be honest. let me let me find another one here. Okay, let's no. Let's, let's continue on the American theme here. So this is a question from Jamie Smith. How did you enjoy racing in America, and in particular the Trans Am series in the Quattro Audis? Um, you Usually, won when you raced the two hundred Quattros in eighty eight. And where does that car uh, sort of rank in your personal pantheon? Tell me about First that. First of
2: all, my years in the States were of all my experience in in many years, were greatest experience, you know. State is a fantastic place for a race car driver. The fans are really cool, you know, mm. lots of respect, you know, it's a good going together, you know, they really enjoy when when you do something. Maybe also because I came there as a Bavarian guy, invented yodeling there on, on winning, you know, I was standing on the podium, winning said, oley, oley. you know, they laughed it to get this experience <laughs> done, you know. Maybe this was a reason for this. Always open guy. And especially then Transam, because Transam, when we came there, the Americans were laughing at us, you know a five-cylinder engine, 2.1 liter against the big blocks, V8s and whatever, you know, said, are we going to blow those guys off? But they forgot that we had all-wheel drive quadra system, you know. And uh, we really shocked them sometimes. And it was cool racing with Pete Holzman, all those guys, you know. And what always was good in the States, there was fair racing. You bump each other sometimes, but even you go and have a beer together. That's totally different here in Europe, you know. Like I mentioned Klaus Ludwig, you know, we never met privately in the last... 150 years, you know, for a beer. But in the States, you have your colleagues, you, you go skiing together, you do this together, you go play golf, you know, it's a different attitude, it's a, it's a top level of driving and competition, but there's also a sort of a, a camaraderie going on, which is great.
1: Sure, okay. Let's move on to um, another question from Lucio Chiodi. Um, what did your father tell you after that podium finish in your home Grand Prix?
2: Uh, he was very happy he was actually on the podium then maybe yeah. the bit how he got the idea and you could see he crying some tears you know he wasn't in the best condition of health but of course maybe I didn't in this moment i didn't rea- did not really realize what it meant for him i I realized when my son was the first time on the podium and then I realized what it means that you're own blood and meat is on the podium. having won a race, you know. Then I realized what my dad must have felt when 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 I, when he was on the podium with me, you know. Sure. Great experience, you know. Especially when I was the first time on the podium with my son Johannes, winning a race at Nürburgring. We looked at each other. You see me crying also, <sighs> and Johannes said, "Daddy, I know what you're thinking. You think about your dad. He's watching us from the top, or maybe he's in hell. We don't know." Yet, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but those <laughs> are really very—you uh, see my 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 emotions right now, you know. Think about my dad, thinking about being on the podium wi- with my kid, you know. I mean, those are moments in your life you definitely never forget, and you are very very privileged to be able to experience these moments, you know. Sure,
0: sure. What what do what are you like
2: as a racing dad?
0: Do you do you do you stand back and yeah? yeah. yeah absolutely, it's
2: same like my dad, you know. I mean, when it really gets a little bit wild, I say, hey, my my friend, watch it, you know but which is mostly beside the track. <laughs> no way, when they're on the track, you, you you can't do anything because you're not in the car, you're not aware of what's going on, so step back, be there, be a friend, be there when it needs to be necessary, but then...
1: So we have a, r- a related question from uh, Robin Arnott from the Netherlands. Um, maybe he asked if you can uh, tell us about experiencing driving the Auto Union uh, that was driven by your father. Um, what it's like to drive that car. You mentioned it earlier on. But it's, it's a yeah, hell coming, of a Yeah, coming back
2: it? to emotions, you know. I just had it two weeks ago. There was an event in Austria. The famous Grossglockner Hill Climb, yeah. which goes up the miles, uh, the miles into the mountains. I was driving Dad's car again. And imagine, number one, going to this car knowing my dad was sitting in there. Then I have his original goggles. I have his head. I have his gloves. I have, I'm using the, the crest of our family ring. It's my ring. And then driving up there, imagining what those guys have experienced in these days you know i mean lots of power very bad road holding bad brakes, you know and there were of course on this hill climb no guard race. if you if you missed it you fly down a couple of miles you know into the rocks and then coming up on the top and you see the people and i then always i have some tears because emotions coming over me because being able to do this and experience what they have mastered in these days you know is a fantastic thing yeah, and I'm so happy that I can do this, you know. And the funny thing is, Johannes, my oldest son, he says, Daddy, I want to drive this car from Grandpa. And when you have an event next time, just say you are sick, and I jump in. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> <laughs> and I hope they they the other will let him do this yeah. because then, be, then we have three generations in a race car, yeah. which must be really Very fantastic, special. you know. Yeah. To get also to show Johannes what what kind of a brave man his grandfather was, you know. Because
1: yeah. you mentioned no no brakes, no no grip. Particularly, but lots of power.
2: Lots of power. <laughs> yeah. I mean, still <laughs> up to Gust Lockner, and the, the problem was that you sit in the car uh, a lot of. Uh, uh, I mean, in front of the turning of the center point, so when the car oversteers, you realize pretty late. You know, mm-hmm. I had this when I did the uh, Monaco Historic Grand Prix. W- of course, I go very decent. And people say, hey, you're going sideways all the time. You don't feel it. Because you're sitting in, f- in front of the center point and the back swings out a little bit and you and you don't realize, you know, it's amazing. Eh? What kind of uh, uh, driving skills they must have had. And you put, I mean, the engine is still nowadays. fantastic engine. The the, the, yes. the resp- response to the throttle is great. Yeah. The 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 torque is great, everything. And, and it rests perfectly. And it runs number one, you know.
1: Yeah, cool. fabulous. Okay, so... Um, a question from A.S. Gilbert, um, if Stuck is in the mood, um, I'd like to hear the story about Nelson Piquet and the pen. This could be Nelson Piquet,
2: a pen as in? Uh,
1: Kurschreiber.
2: Kurschreiber. <laughs> <laughs> I need the guy's telephone number. We, we will, we this will get please back to you, to uh, <laughs> Mr. Gilbert. We will please find please out. Please connect us. And you then
1: mean pen? Be able to or do you mean a pen as in where, you know, like after the race where there's no, a
0: no pen? No, no, no. Those didn't uh, exist, and I think it means, it means one means of those. It's a pen. Okay, yeah.
1: we will we'll find out that one for me. Um, okay. <laughs> That's a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> Please connect me with the guy. Give me my phone number. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll check it out. To you, We we talk yeah. about this. <laughs> well, this this one may maybe um, this one I I suspect will be slightly easier. This is from Matt in South Korea. Some stories about Vittorio Brambilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
2: Brambilla Gorilla. Oh right? yeah. Yes, he was <laughs> a, he was my teammate. He was really a sharp guy. But what took me most wonder was the amount of alcohol he was drinking before the race. <laughs> okay, he's Italian, <laughs> so red wine is like tea for me, obviously. But every evening before the race, I think two liters of red wine were normal with Vittoria, you know. And he was fast, wow. you know, he was focused. And he, I just can't describe it. So the, the word Brambilla, gorilla, meets exactly what, what, uh, what Vittoria was. But he was a fine guy, you know, a very fine guy, a straightforward guy, a great teammate, an exceptional driver.
1: Yeah, but he liked to drink.
2: I okay, that's you know, like <laughs> the <tenants> drink espresso <laughs> or red wine, I prefer tea.
1: <laughs>
2: Coffee, tea or me, you know.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, we're jumping around a little bit here. Now, this is from uh, Nick B. Um, I'd like to hear about Grand Prix Masters. How easy was it getting back into single-seater mode? And how near 10 tenths did you actually get with that car?
2: Yes, a GP Masters was a, a fantastic invention, you know. And uh, when I when I I got called up and said uh, Hans, would you like to join a GP? I said yes. This is like Christmas and New Year's and (laughs) (laughs) birthday on one day together. (laughs) And getting back into a new day single seater was a great experience for me because for my times of single seater, i was the last time in a single seater. Was in, I think it was '91 when there was the BMW Turbo. Was it '91? 91. And then I get got to try to drive this car the last time. And I was shocked how how much power this car had. But the GP Masters car, with a normal aspirated engine, and this fantastic chassis, it just, I mean, I loved it, you know? And I did the first test in Silverstone, and fine enough, I got right into it, you know? And uh, fighting with the other guys, and being able to be with a guy like Nigel Menzel Mm. or or Jacques Lafitte was just, and Eddie Cheever, was not only an honor, it was a big pleasure. Mm. And you cannot imagine the fun we had, you know? And I mean, f- when we, when we went, for example, when we went to South Africa, people, re- or, or to Silverstone, people loved it. The fans were there because we had time to sign autographs. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we were giving us hell together, but still the sense of competition was to have fun. And mm-hmm. it was just great, you know. Yeah. F- I really a pity that maybe it was not very well funded. I would also say we received too much money. I yeah. would have driven also for free, you know, but they paid mm-hmm. us a lot of money. Maybe just a little bit over the moon, but, um, I would love to have this spec definitely. Act great. There, was there were some good talks already with Bernie to have in GP Masters in some of the GP weekends, yeah. you know, which would have been fantastic. Yeah. But unfortunately,
0: it didn't work. Still
2: have some T-shirts at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you remember um, of that? So I, 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 I didn't attend any of the races. I, mean, yeah. I, I, remember the, I remember the first, there were only three races, weren't there, I think? There only three, yeah, yeah, I Silverstone, Silverstone, uh, Qatar, and
2: and Silverstone in and Qatar. Yeah, Silverstone, Qatar. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's interesting because obviously the, 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 the pro car, it, it was a similar format to the, to right. the pro car. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if, if you were to create a formula today for a kind of a, a, a legend series, would, would you use a s- fast single seater or would you use more of a sports car for, for that?
2: Ah, that's a difficult question, you know. I think it should be a single seater, you know. Mm-hmm. Something like the GP Masters car was, you know. a, a good chassis, a yeah. uh, uh, pedal shift gearbox. Mm. What is, I think is important, same aero for everybody, you know, not any error tricks, so you don't have dirty air. We could overtake everywhere. I mean, nowadays the enemy uh, is created to pr- to produce dirty air behind the other car. Nobody can pass you unless you do this bloody uh, DRS system activation, which is totally crazy, you know. But this 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 was racing back to the basis. You know, it was really cool.
1: Let's now talk about today and and Formula E. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your role at the moment with Formula E and what you've got coming up?
2: Yes, in Formula E, I have the pleasure to be chairman of the stewards for a couple of races every year. So next season will be Marrakesh, Rome, Zurich and Germany. Without the, the Forester, I will be able to, be, uh, to perform as stewards. I like the idea of Formula E because, I mean, it's an interesting alternative which fits into the future and nowadays with electro engines. I hope it will never replace Formula 1. I'm, I'm b- very honest, but it's a different story, but the main important thing is it brings motors back motorsport back to metropolitan cities. You know, it brings motorsport yes. to the public. It's great. It's a one-day event, which I think is great, because we should really listen to the fans what they want. Do you really want to sit three days on a plastic chair and watch Formula One? You know, or can we do maybe two even in one day? You know, that's pretty good. Then I like it. What people don't understand often is the uh, being interactive with the spectators, the fan boost. That means drivers have to be nice, have to s- uh, sign autographs, and be nice to the public good help, you know, So and the racing is good because I have, for example, I have uh, as a driver steward Bruno Senna or the Sucek that drove Formula E yes. and they were telling me the car is pretty, pretty difficult to drive, it has mm. this immediate power, it doesn't have too much aero, it hasn't, hasn't got the fantastic grip from the tyre, so the driver is actually the key factor of winning a race or not, but I think it's very important, you know, yeah. and for me,
0: it's great, I'd be happy to be in there. Thanks to Mr. Todd. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said earlier on that um, back home you've got a snowmobile and all the other toys and you liked the smell, you like the scent of petrol and you like the noise. So how do you feel about Formula E's, like, well I mean you can, you can hear the tyres and you can hear the gear changes but you, uh, you, you, don't, you don't mind that?
2: I can tell you a good story with this. I was at the first Formula E race in Miami, one of the first races with my wife and I said we went from the hotel to the track and I said honey. Is this racing? You don't hear anything. I don't like it. This is not racing, she said. Honey, listen. Forty-three years, you put earplugs against noise <laughs> in your <laughs> ear, and now you now you complain because there's no <laughs> noise. Think about <laughs> it. And she is definitely right. And I tell you, it takes two or three races to understand the system because, in the end, it's when it, you hear the you hear the commentator, you hear different noises. You hear the shifting, you hear the tire squealing, the braking. You hear if somebody is crashing. Sometimes you can hear it. And it's just, it's an, a good alternative. So why, Why? I mean, I'm used to it now. I, I don't miss the sound because I still have the sound in other events, which is obviously good, you know, but in for this event, I think it's great.
3: With uh, your steward hat on, just going back to Max Verstappen at Austin, what would you have done? Would you have given him the penalty as a steward? I mean, <laughs> as
2: an <laughs> FIA member, I have to be careful now, but I think we have to find a good solution with these leaving track or not things, you know. I mean there are some, in general you can, f- if you do this or that or not. We had the same now with uh, Sebastian Vettel in Mexico, he left the track, there was no penalty. I think it's time for the sake of the sport to find a good system for whether let them go where they want or have the same form of penalizing if this happens, you know. You can't do it either here this or either in that, that, that way. This has to be the, the, the most important step for the future to find a solution. What can you do or what will happen if you d- if you do it? That's important. Because if you do it like we have done it now with with Max, you know, I mean he took his chance, so he he cut it off. But the same was with Vettel in Mexico and he did get no penalization, so that's not good for the
0: sport. But I'm I'm sure that Hans Stuck, the racing driver, you would have attempted exactly the same maneuver that Max did, wouldn't you? A thousand percent. <laughs> the hole is open, you go
2: in, you know
1: thousand percent. <laughs> that that neatly summarizes your, <laughs> your, your career. Um, I have to thank you very much for, for a wonderful for hour. Really, really fabulous. And also thanks to, to Simon Aaron, our, our features editor, and to Jack Phillips, our uh, digital editor here. Um, what, a, what a wonderful hour. I really hope you've enjoyed that uh, talk show with the Royal Automobile Club. Um, we'll be back soon and um, we'd love to invite you back for another one soon as well.
2: Definitely. I hope you enjoyed it, the public. Uh, always nice to, to be here. It's an honor for me to be here. And please keep on racing.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you.
4: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.